Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for joining another episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. I think this is number 20. I ain't quite sure, but we've had a bunch of them and I'm so grateful for all of you all. Thank you for the downloads. Thank you for the shares. Thank you for following us and, and subscribing and liking our Twitter videos and liking our Instagram posts. And most importantly, thank you to Spotify and The Ringer for allowing us to have this voice. You know, we just finished the Democratic National Convention where we formally nominated uh, Vice President Biden and Senator Harris is our ticket. And we are now officially going into the GOTV phase of our campaign. That's get out to vote, folks. You know what I say about getting out to vote. Don't worry about mailing in your ballot. Just mask up and vote. And this week we have the RNC, the Republican National Convention, which I don't plan to watch. Little no secret, I struggled to stay up long enough last week to watch most of the DNC. So you know I'm not watching the RNC. And that's all I'll say about that, because I'm focused on getting Joe Biden elected in November. But today is 824. It's August 24th. And for many of us who were touched by the life of Kobe Bryant, we're thinking of him and his family today. And personally, I think of the life he led and not just the black father and a hashtag girl dad. But as a man who, like many of us, and particularly black men, are evolving on a host of issues in a very public way that I think is worth acknowledging on 824 and the day after his birthday, which was yesterday, August 23rd. Some of you may recall back in 2011 when Kobe Bryant was fined uh, for calling Benny Adams a referee, a gay slur. He didn't just pay the fine, but after he was called out for his homophobia, he did the work. He genuinely engaged with LGBTQ organizations and he eventually became an ally. We saw Kobe go from his lowest point in that press conference in Colorado to becoming one of the more vocal figures in the country around parity in women's sports, for example. We saw him go from disgraced partner to model husband. We saw him go from a me first player to a model teammate. The evolution was public. At times, it was painful. But for me, I'm thankful that the cancel culture that now seems to dominate conversations about celebrities gone awry didn't consume Kobe. Because if it did, we may not have seen the Kobe we remember and honor today. Because when we cancel people, they disappear. They simply go to the echo chambers that affirm them. Kobe didn't fall prey to cancel culture. He knew better and he did better. Part of that was Kobe and part of that was the public grace that he earned by doing the work and us giving him the space to do it. That's a part of the mamba mentality that we don't talk about enough. And that's doing the work it takes to be the best version of ourselves every day. So today we celebrate Kobe Bryant, not just because he was one of the best to ever do it on the court, but because also he was one of the best to ever do it as a man. Now on to this amazing episode I have with my sister and good friend, Ebony Kay, and we'll get to what the K stands for, Williams, a former uh, Fox News host and alum of the illustrious University of North Carolina. Uh, a sorority sister to my friend Kamala Harris and Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and now currently, even more importantly, a host of Black News at Revolt TV. Thank y'all for joining the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it... A real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. 
Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So where did, where did Kiana come from? I'm intrigued. So where does that come from? Okay. So the story goes, my mother, Gloria, who's a legend, you know, she's a daughter of Louisiana. You know, Abacar, you know, I was born in Louisiana, actually. I thought you were from North Carolina, but I'll take Louisiana. I in Charlotte. Yeah. So I grew up in Charlotte. Okay. But I was born in Amit, Louisiana, which is. Oh, the wow. Country. Yeah. And so my mother, Gloria, was pregnant for nine months and never bothered to find out if she was having a boy or a girl. And so she was prepared for a boy and she was going to name him Pierre, being the NOLA girl she was. And then they said, you, you had a beautiful baby girl. And she was like, oh, hell. And so she let my aunts name me. So one aunt named me Ebony. Obviously, Ebony Magazine was, you know, popping at the time in the 80s. But it's not, but it's not, but no, why? She's trying to be different, Bakari. She was just trying to be different. Oh, I got you. I got you. Trying to be special. And then my other aunt, both of these ladies have, these queens have passed on. Aunt Barbara was in the midst of her militant, you know, assalamu alaikum, you know, what's up? And so she was with the Kiana. So it was Ebony Kiana, K-I hyphen, U-H-N-N-A, Williams. I, I don't know that there's a blacker name, actually. <laughs> that actually, when I saw that preparing for, first of all, I mean, we, we are recording. So thank you for coming on today. We had a, uh, I want you to know, Ebony is always there for me. She's an amazing spirit. As are you. And, uh, and we were, we were going to have Steve Harvey, but we have better than Steve Harvey today. We got Ebony Kiana Williams today. <laughs> Ebony, Ebony, Ebony K. Dot today. K-Dot. So shout, shout out. I know a lot of people, uh, we jumped in on your middle name and all those things, but not a lot of people feel like they know you, but they don't know mm. the arc of your career. So walk us through the career from Loyola to the work that you're doing now with Black News on Revolt. So how did you get to where yeah. you're going? For sure. Because so I, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, it's interesting because you and I, we share that. We are, we are both uh, litigators of sorts, but I had a very different story. Uh, I know you come from a long legacy of, of proud black civil rights activists and leaders in the space. I have a bit of a different trajectory. Um, proud, strong black family, but very blue collar. My grandmother was a, a domestic. You know, if, you, if you've seen the movie The Help, that was what my grandmother did her entire life. And then my mother wasn't able to finish her formal education either. But she was really smart, though, Bakari, because she really knew that nobody would ever pay you as much as you paid yourself. So right. the path of entrepreneurship, right, was extremely appealing to her. So she left school and then she started owning her own businesses, first uh, working in fast food as a manager, then eventually went to cosmetology school, opened a salon, took that money, opened a daycare, took that money. And now my mother opens uh, and runs a trucking facility. She's one of a few black women. That I was about to say, there, there can't be that many black women owning. No, all five foot of herself, right? And so she's, uh, she's, she's, she's really boss. So the point of the story, though, is that she did understand the value of education. So she was in my ass, Bakari. You know, you're going to go to school, you're going to get these A's. And you're not just going to go to school. You're going to complete your education until they tell you to stop going to school. You're going to keep going. So hence uh, going to UNC Chapel Hill at 16, uh, being blessed with an academic scholarship to go there. Then going to Loyola Law in New Orleans and completing my education. Started practicing at 23. Now, like a lot of us, you know how it is in law school. You know, the, the sell is do well, get in the top, you know, 10% of your class, law review, moot court, whatever, and then go to the big white shoe collar firm. 
Yeah. So I did that. I did everything I was told to do and I hated it. And God bless them. You know, big law was not for me. And I, I figured I wanted to help people that couldn't ordinarily get representation in this space because uh, my mom doesn't like to talk about it, but I'm working on her because I think that there's a lot of power in us sharing our stories and our truths. So my mom was actually incarcerated uh, for a year of my life when I was three. She was a first time nonviolent offender and they locked her up for a year in Angola. My mom did a year in oh Angola. Oh my God. Yeah. She's strong. I mean, that, that, that finishing crazy, that right? year is just strength. Yeah, that's crazy. But I see where you get that age too, because you will cut somebody. But listen, you know, when, you, when your mama come out of Angola, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's your joke. Um, <laughs> here's the truth. What I realized from that though, Bakari, in all sincerity, is who you have representing you at that table. Hey, Amen. It is so important. It is so mm-hmm. important. It will change the trajectory of your entire life. So that's what made me want to go to law school. And that's what made me want to litigate. And so I left big law and the big paycheck and I went and became a public defender. And that's where I cut my teeth. That's where I really learned to practice law. So I was a public defender for a couple of years, went into private practice. And then I wanted, I wanted what's in front of you. I wanted the big microphone because I recognize that our people, they need this information, Bakari. A lot of us don't have access to it. Uh, we don't know where to get it. And so for those of us that have the, the privilege, and it is a privilege to be able to have that access of higher education and legal education at mm-hmm. that, right? So knowing the ins and out of the criminal justice system, I just wanted to spread that as far as I could and as wide as I could. So I went to LA. I fell into talk radio. A lot of people don't know that, Bakari. I started my career not in television as a broadcaster. No, I started in talk radio on KFI. I, I, didn't, I, I didn't know that one. Didn't know that one. I know, I know, because you know, you know, I think I'm cute, right? So yeah, I was like, you don't really have no face for radio. I give you that one. I give you that one. <laughs> no, but it also really, I started in talk radio though, and I'm gonna tell you why I'm glad I did. Because, and you, we share this. We've done both. We we do podcasting. We do radio. We've done television. We've done it all. When you start in radio, though, Bakari, you don't have the luxuries of relying on anything but sure. the words. Right. So it's not about the cute. It's not about the eye batting. It's not about the hair tossing. It's none of that. It's just the verbiage. The rhetoric is all you have. And so it forced me to get control of that very early in my career. So I started in talk radio in L.A., eventually landed in cable news. Boom, bam, bam. HLN, CBS News, Fox News Channel, Fox Sports, Revolt TV in a nutshell. Let's talk about your, your stop at Fox real quick, because what was it like? Okay. <laughs> Let's say, yeah, I, uh, and I was gonna walk into the mic to get this thing. Is this thing on to get it real clear? But you, you clearly have some progressive personal political views. I mean, you, you're honest with yourself. You have a background. Uh, tell me how that was. And I mean, everyone, everyone has a role. Everyone has a purpose. I have really good friends over there at Fox. I actually consider, you know, Sir Michael Singleton a, a big oh, time black. Cool. Yeah, great, great guy. Even Donna Brazil's over there now. But but talk to me about what it was like working for Fox News. So I went there with specificity, Bakari. I went there because when I was practicing as a trial attorney, specifically in criminal justice, I recognized the importance of your jurors. Okay, yeah. You put 12 in a box, whether we like it or we don't, their opinions of, of us, their understanding of our humanity is critically important. You know, you really win or lose a case almost at jury selection, more or less, in my opinion, from my experience. Therefore, I thought it was extremely important to spend some time trying to educate that aspect of my jury pool. So, Were you successful with that? I had some success, not as much as I would like, but 
Yeah, I think I, I, well, I know for a fact. So how do I know? Because I was there for almost four years. When you're there that long, you get a lot of emails, you get a lot of DMs. But you just Uh, weren't, you weren't, you weren't just at Fox. I mean, let's back up a little bit because for somebody who, who thirsts and who wants that call saying you will have an opportunity to have a show or you will have an opportunity, you, you actually got that call and you got the show on Fox and you got a prime, I mean, you got a prime hour with some heavyweights. So, I mean, you weren't just there. So, so. I mean, your impact is still felt over there. They still miss you. They're still looking for the next Ebony K. Williams. They are. They are. I don't know if they'll find her. I- I'll say this, and I say it with humility. No, I- I'm joking, but I'm not joking, right? <laughs> what about the humility <laughs> part? <laughs> All of it, right? Um, <laughs> I had a particular temperament, Bakari. You know, we we know each other. We've done, we do this yeah. work. We do yeah, this work in sure. front of cameras. We do this work behind cameras, right? So I had a particular temperament that told me, and I'm a woman of faith, that told me that God had given me a gift. Not just the gift of being smart and knowing the law and knowing politics. That's great, but a lot lot of us know that. My gift was that I could actually stay composed, Mm -hmm. stay together, and stay productive for a long time while in hostile terrain, right? So while people were, you know, being extremely aggressive towards things that are important to me, like Black life in America, like uh, the rights of women and reproductive rights, like a lot of things that matter to me. I was able to still, you know, hold my court, hold my ground, listen to them because you can't be heard unless you listen. That's just a fact of what we do as communicators and broadcasters, but also very confidently and consistently make my points, right? So I did that for a long time. And then the Trump administration came. So when you you kindly off, offer the, the history of my time at Fox going from contributor to analyst to then host, which all happened. And I was hosting the Fox News Specialist five o'clock Monday through Friday in the wake of O'Reilly being canned. That was a blessing. And I was able to, to speak to three to five million people a day. That was crazy. Mm-hmm. And then the Trump administration came about and Charlottesville happened. And a lot of my politics, Bakari, people always ask me, like, what are your politics, Ebony? Like, they don't even know. You know, are you Democrat? Are you Republican? Are you liberal? Are you independent? Are you libertarian? Are you conservative? I don't have politics, Bakari. I only have values, okay? And my values are, and I'm not knocking politics. It's just not my jam. I have values. My values are, I don't trust government because I've never seen government do a whole lot right by my people. I'm cheap, fiscally conservative. That's politically and in my real everyday life. That's facts. I believe in a woman's right to choose. Not even so much morally as much as legally. I just believe that there are inherent rights that the government doesn't extend to. And I think your body is one of them. I believe- You sound, in, you sound almost libertarian over there. Maybe, maybe. We'll, we'll go with that. Whatever, whatever, whatever suits. Here's the point though. It was all good until it wasn't at Fox. It was all good. Like if, if, if let's go with the audience agreeing with you, Bakari, and they're like, okay, she's, she's not the most conservative chick. She's certainly not Republican, but we'll take it. That worked until you have a president, Bakari, that's not talking about anything that's about policy. You have a, a president that's, yeah. that's talking about humanity and he's talking about the false equivalency of white supremacy and subordination of blackness. It's nothing political about that. So when I spoke very plainly and called the man a coward, called him a racist, and all too willing to accept the tangential benefits of racism to extend his political space, 
that didn't go over well with the Fox audience. So it was what it was. And I was okay with it. I feel like I spent four years at the network earning currency and building great relationships and being trusted for better. You know, everybody didn't agree with me, Bakari, when I was at Fox, but they respected me. That's correct. They trusted me. They respected me because I showed up with facts. But, you know, I cashed in that currency and I would do it again tomorrow. And from there, I just, I go where the audience is needed for me, Bakari. Like, and people always ask me, like, e, why, do you, why did you go to Fox? And then why did you go from Fox to Revolt? Because that's like, you go from Fox News to Black News, like, who does that? And the reason why is because I'm, I'm really trying to center where my voice is needed. Where am I, where are people already doing great work in this space? So there's colleagues like yourself doing incredible work at CNN. And I really mean that. And you know that I tell you that all the time. Thank you. Thank you. Of course, you've got Angela Rye. You've got, um, before she left to join the campaign, Simone Sanders. You've got, you know, uh, Joanne Reed. You've got Tiffany Cross. We've we've got, I'll say soldiers, for lack of a better term, in place in a lot of important places. So my challenge, don't just go be a part of the chorus. Go lead a moment. Where do you go lead that moment? So after I left Fox, I was like, okay, where's the next place to take my voice and my experience to my people in a way that they can really benefit? And I looked at hip hop culture and I looked at Revolt TV and I looked at State of the Culture. I went to, to Revolt to pitch my own show, of course. I wanted to, to talk up about law and social justice specifically. And the, the brilliance uh, of Robin Johnson, who was then the content uh, executive, said, what do you think about State of the Culture? I was like, you mean with Remy and Joe and Jinx? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I saw you land there. I saw you land there. <laughs> yeah, she was like, yeah, bear with me. And and she was right, Bakari. I mean, I would have never dreamed it. But I know enough to, and this is important for all young people listening to this, mm-hmm. never get in your own way by predisposing no when there is an opportunity for a yes. So while my instinct was not to let me go join State of the Culture, because of course I should be hosting a hip hop talk show, that's what God had for me. And so that's exactly where I landed. I've had the best time. And I think my voice has been extremely well received and I'm grateful. Before we get to working with Joe Budden, um, <laughs> we, we go get there. But before we get there uh, and, and before we talk about the politics of the day, just just tell me where you were. And what was your reaction uh, to our good friend Kamala Harris being picked Ooh. as the nominee for vice president? Well, you know, I might have been a bit excited, Bakari. I know, because I, I, I don't know. I, I just I just feel like there, there's certain members of the Divine Nine and a certain certain cohort of HBCUs that are fucking insufferable right so now. Annoying. <laughs> so annoying. And, and you're right. And I'll own it. And still it. Uh, <laughs> so. No, listen, she, I'm excited. Oh, wait, wait, as they said in the Washington Post, what is all that screeching? Oh, my God. <laughs> See, that's why we need diversity in the newsroom, right? <laughs> exactly. So, yes, I am very excited because she is my soul. But much more importantly than that, I'm excited because Kamala Harris, I mean, she represents, I think, the future of the, of the party and really the yep. future of, like, American politics, right? It's, it's so comprehensive what she represents, Bakari, and you know this because you know her. It's womanhood, it's cultural diversity as a black woman who technically is, has biracial elements to her lineage. Don't worry, I got a four and a half pound Yorkie. My, you, I was a Kamala. I know, I got, I got the same thing running around here and the twins about to be joining us in a minute. We, we, we are talking through their nap time, so you'll see both of them, no worries, keep going. Um, so yeah, Kamala's you know, incredible. And as a former public defender and criminal defense lawyer, I take 
prosecutors and who occupies that space very seriously. Of course, you have to because they you usually they're the most they're the most powerful people in the courtroom. That that part, that part, Ricard, because I don't think people fully get that. They think it's the judge or they think it's the nah. It's the prosecutor that when someone's deciding, hmm, are you eligible for deferred prosecution or do we just try you as a felon? It's the prosecutor making that decision. Do we try you as a juvenile or do we try you as an adult? Initially, it's a prosecutor making that decision. You know, jurisdiction, you know it, all of it. So who occupies the capacity of prosecutors in this country is very important. And I am a staunch advocate for the fact that we as black folk must make space. We must make space for our people to occupy that capacity. I believe black people belong in every space, you know, and, 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 and that's important. So Kamala's background in that, what she's done while, you know, we can sit here all day and litigate the pros and cons of our prosecutorial record. I know that, that she absolutely did some things in her capacity as prosecutor, like the back on track program, like de, uh, de-escalating some felony marijuana possessions to misdemeanor charges and, and some dismissing outright some things that moved in the right direction. I think that Kamala is, was at least, at least the preliminary entry point to what we know as a modern day progressive prosecutor. Oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Tell me about this though, because this is what people don't know, but what does it mean or, or what, how would you explain to people the impact of truly activating the national network of politically engaged black women like Alpha Kappa Alpha, Sorority Incorporated, help people understand how the divine nine uh, is going to play a role in this election and how it may be a game changer for 2020. It will be a game changer, Bakari. Listen, you know this. I believe it. I, I know. Well, just tell, tell the people. I know. Tell yeah. the people. Uh, it, it, this is why. Number one, let's just start with AKA. It's a good place to start because we were the first. You know, we were the first. Uh, <laughs> black I mean, I, I, my wife's a Delta. My mom and sister are Deltas, but we still, we, I I'm love. Getting I, Delta. I, I, I'm getting the Delta Sigma Theta because you know what? All jokes aside, it's nothing but love. It's a lot of, the first black woman to occupy a Senate seat in the United States was a Delta, Carolyn uh, Mosley Brown. Rosa Brown, correct. Yeah, yep. uh, you know, the first black woman to be a, a member of Congress in the United States, Shirley Chisholm, that's a Delta. So, I, I mean, you know, truth be told, there are legendary women correct. from Delta, AKA. But, but the AKA, first black AKA. woman to be a vice president of the United States. So she's a member of the first and the finest, you know, that's just what it, <laughs> that's just what it is, Bakari. That's just what it is. Um, but, but you asked about mobilization. Mm-hmm. Let me speak to it. Let's start with AK. Us alone, our sisterhood has over 300,000 members, 300,000 members in all states across this nation. And we are all mobilized and activated and ready for this moment because that's a part of our whole process. Every Delta, every AKA, every member of a Greek letter organization, and this includes the fraternities, Kappa Alpha Psi, Alpha Phi Alpha, Omega Psi Phi, Phi Beta Sigma, and Iota Phi Theta. If we have one thing in common, we were all founded and we all pledged our our respective orgs for civic engagement, civic engagement, the betterment, empowerment and advancement of black folk in America, period, full stop. Most of the organizations were founded on HBCU campuses, including Mm -hmm. Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated. Oh, where was it founded? Mm, Howard University. Oh, where did Kamala Harris attend undergraduate studies? Howard Mm -hmm. University. The connected tissue. So when you take a woman like Kamala, she's an AKA, she's a she's a daughter of Howard University, she's a daughter of Oakland. I mean, it's literally, 
in her DNA that she would show up in this capacity of leadership in this moment. I love the way that you, it was, it was bound to happen. I mean, this, this is, this is God's I mean, plan really, right here. That's it, what, it, was, it was really predestined, you know. <laughs> How did you end up at the University of North Carolina and not Johnson C. Smith? But by the way, I do believe that the most, I see you, by the way, we, we see you. <laughs> I do believe, I do believe the most beautiful women in the world, in the world go to Spelman and the University of North Carolina. I must state that. You have to because, say that. I do yes. have to say that because, of course, <laughs> as a as a Morehouse man, I, I will say that there were a, a bunch of beautiful women at Spelman. However, uh, yeah, but who you married to now, though? University of North Carolina. Yeah. University. Uh, I, I have to give a shout out to Simone Martin, my good friend, Ebony K. Williams, and of course, the most beautiful woman in the world, uh, Ellen Rucker Sellers. I know. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the University of North Carolina. How did you not end? What you didn't want to go to an HBCU? You did. You never thought about well, it. How did you end up? You know, at- no one's asked me that, and I'm glad you asked. Me. I'm going to tell you the the true tea. I would have loved to have gone to Spelman. I was accepted to Spelman. I got into the Honors College at Spelman. Okay. I got a scholarship to Spelman, but it was partial. Oh, it's a, that's typical HBCU right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I get it. Listen, I, I'm no shade. I'm not mad. I'm not bitter. I get it. Because when you're at HBCU, especially the status of Spelman, Morehouse, Howard, Hampton, you are getting the elite of Black American students applying. Correct. So I was an elite student. I was one of several. So it only makes sense that they were giving me some money, but not all money. UNC Chapel Hill, predominantly white institution, someone like me, an exceptional academic black kid, was extremely unique. So Carolina, I didn't pay Carolina a cent. Carolina actually paid me. I was a Joseph E. Polk scholar. Carolina gave me all of my money, books, tuition, room and board, bought me a laptop and gave me a stipend. That's how I got to Carolina. Oh, wow. I would have with my my little $2,800 a month, too, I wish somebody would have paid me to go to school because right now I'm paying them a lot. Back well, I'm paying law school. Don't worry about it. I'm paying Loyola school. Oh, well, there, we, well, there, we, there we go. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So uh, before, well, I got a couple of current events before I let you go, because I'm glad you were able to join me. And and we are, uh, this episode is coming out on a very important day. It's coming out on 824 a day that we remember none other than Kobe Bryant and shout out to Vanessa Bryant for being a stronger woman than we could ever imagine. I want to talk to you about the RNC just briefly. Um, What are you expecting this week? We actually have uh, friends that we know speaking at the RNC. I'm I'm speaking about Jerron. I'm a friend with Jerron. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't know he was speaking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Jerron speaking at the RNC. Uh, what are you expecting from this week? And if you were to have someone and people are kind of taken aback uh, about uh, maybe me considering him a friend and a, and a good person, what do you what do you advise someone like Jerron to say at the RNC? Or what do you advise someone black? You got Alice Marie Johnson. You got um, what's my senator from George's name, who well, used to be a Democrat. I don't even know his name no more. Well, uh, speak. speaking. You're, you're, oh, you're Tim, speaking. Uh, that's my guy. Tim is speaking. Well, if you had to advise Jerron and Tim. 
about speaking at the RNC, what would you say or what do you expect from this week? That's a big question. Okay. That is a big question. I know. I know. I want to, I want to hear the answer. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, this is shit. Shit. Okay. This is what I would say. To Jerron, let me start with Jerron, because I I do know Jerron. I I do consider Jerron a friend. Jerron has worked very aggressively, particularly on criminal justice reform and things like that in the black community. And HBC. He worked with HBC. HBCU funding. That's true. Yeah, listen. I obviously believe in the power, the possibility of affecting change from the inside out. Even when you are in a a completely vile and corrupt organization, as I have been when I was working at Fox News, I do believe in the hope and the possibility of incremental internal change. However, I also would tell Jerron as my friend, you need to really protect your long-term goals for yourself. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Be Be selfish for a minute. And, and be self-occupied and, and do it for yourself and do Jerron has a family, you know? And so do as much as you can inside of this administration for your people. Cause I know that's why he's there. I've asked him directly and that was his answer to me. And I respect him for it. Although it might not be my choice. It don't have to be. It's his choice. Correct. Do exactly what you can by way of the issues that you think you can advance while you are there. Do not sell your soul for it, which I, I will say on record. I don't think Jerron has. Correct. And I agree with that. No, he, no, Jerron, Jerron has never canceled. He's always welcome back. He, he's playing an admirable role in his position. He's, he's, SEC, he's playing SEC. a game of chess. Yeah, he's Correct. playing a game of chess and he's playing the long game. But in this cancel culture, which you mentioned, and it's accurate, you have to be very mindful of what is life after going to look like for you. Right. So when Jerron thinks of whether this president gets uh, another term, I, I, I pray to, to God he doesn't. Even if he does, Jerron Smith and Tim Scott and all the other black folks associated with this administration will have to have a life and career after. Start thinking about what that looks like. Whatever words you say at this RNC convention are not only for the benefit of Trump and the party. Make sure you have your own personal, political and cultural advantage in mind. That's what I would say. Shifting gears just slightly. I don't know if you've seen the news about our brother Ice Cube recently. Oh, I have. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What's in it for us? I I couldn't allow you to leave as being my amazing black hip hop expert right now. Uh, Talk to me about just when you see when you see Cube's video demanding an endorsement for a contract with black America. It doesn't include black women. You see a lot of people speaking out. I'm happy that that our black folk, black men in particular, are speaking out. I sometimes wish they would uh, involve more people in their their process, their their kind of education process when they get to this. What do you make about Ice Cube? How do you respond to Ice Cube? I, I, I saw him in an interview with, with Black Women Views. Her name is Reese. She was recently on the show as well. And, and it just seems as if there's something missing. So what would be your response to Ice Cube? You probably will interview him soon, I'm sure. And what do you think about... Uh, all of these these new celebrities finding their voices, which I, I'm happy for. I just wish sometimes there would be more of an education process going into it. That's it, exactly. So, you know, on State of the Culture, uh, starting with Cube, I, I think Cube's heart's in the right place, and I think his energy's in the right place. I think I agree with both. Right. What is missing, though, to your point, Bakari, is a little more just concrete knowledge, frankly, on how the game is played. 
And I would say the same analysis to the owner of Revolt TV, the network I appear on, Mr. Combs. When Mr. Combs and our mutual friend, uh, Charlemagne the God, really kind of went out with the, the narrative that we should hold our vote in lieu of an advanced, articulated Black agenda from Joe Biden. Here's the issue. I hear you. I get it. Why do we want to show up and support voting wise for an agenda that we don't feel is, is demonstratively inclusive of us? The voting is the back end of politics. The voting is the last part of the process. In order for us as black folk to have an artic, first of all, I think that's backwards. I'm not waiting on Joe Biden. I don't think any black person should wait on any white politician to design an agenda for us. We, because historically, that's not how it's been done. Martin Luther King Jr. and the rest of the civil rights movement activists, they took an agenda to Lyndon B. Johnson. They didn't, right. Lyndon B. Johnson did not craft an agenda around voting rights and then show it to us and say, oh, look what I drew up for y'all. That's okay. how it happened. We create that agenda. Then we go to you and we establish political currency by way of either mostly fiscal these days, because politics is a very green game. Okay. So you have to have a lot of money and a lot of lobbying power behind you that, that really gives the politician no choice but to appease your agenda item. You know, we see this in a lot of organizations, Bakari, whether it's the NRA, whether it's Planned Parenthood, whether you know, that's it's a, that's an interesting tech. point because you can't you can um I, I think one of the things that, that Puffy and Cube can do a better job of is financially empowering those individuals who are running for office, those people who align with their interests, you know, having a, you know, do we have a, a bad boy pack or do we have an NWA pack, right? That I think that's it. I, I'm all about packs, Bakari. I'm all about, I mean, there's collective pack. There's a few other great black packs out there, but really until you put your money behind it, what incentive do these politicians have to make it about us? They have none, you know, because listen, we can hold our vote. Let's go with that narrative. Let's hold our votes. Let's not vote. And then understand that this shit goes on without us. It will that's go on. And, and Donald Trump will be reelected, right? Right without you. Yeah. yeah, that's all I'm saying. So that whole tip, I'm going to fold my arms and I'm going to say, what's in it for us? Because if I don't like what you're saying, I'm not going to come support you on November 3rd. Okay, cool. Cut off your nose to spite your face. Because that's all you're going to be doing. Because it's not like they're going to say, oh, the black folks mad. We're not going to have the election. They don't give a shit. The election goes on with or without us. So either we are active, intentional participants or we opt out at our own peril. So I would say to Cube, I love your energy. I love your spirit. I love everything you've done for the culture. I'm a huge Cube fan. And we, told, we come to Cube, we come to Cube with respect. Every uh, that's the all you know, respect. All, all respect, respect for sure. Yeah. And now, like you said, though, let's let's collaboratively let's take Cube's influence and Cube's energy along with some of our expert ability and experience in the space of politics and lobbying and uh, political action committee activism. How the shit really works behind the scenes, and then let's create a task force. I think it starts with this, Picard. I think it's simple, and I'll leave it here. We need a very limited Black agenda. These Black agendas with these 15-item bullet points is not going to cut it. You know what? One of, our, um, one of the things that all the uh, organizations I mentioned have in common that are very successful with political power, NRA, Planned Parenthood, teachers unions, APEC, they're singular or maybe dual-issue organizations. You take one, two, if you're lucky, three agenda items and you go full throttle. One of the problems, Bakari, is we're trying to do, to me, we're trying to do too much at the same time. 
if we want to say it's education, it's criminal justice, and it's healthcare, done. Or it's housing, it's criminal justice, it's education, done. Let's go. But like these, these long ass agendas we be trying to compile, it'll never happen because that's not how politics are played. Last question for you. Black News at Revolt. Talk to me about the concept and how can people watch it? I love it. I wish I could join more. Shout out to my great job at CNN that, that doesn't necessarily, allow, but I, I'm, up, I'm up for a new contract coming up. And one of the things that I will do is carve out Black News at we'll Revolt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, listen, you know, my- I didn't thing, even know it wasn't a carve out when I signed two years ago, but now it is. So there we go. And, and I would say to uh, CNN executives, it only amplifies, you know, their branding power to have that cross promotion. So we welcome our CNN family. But listen, Revolt Black News, it is watched on Revolt TV, which is in your Comcast cable package. It's also on YouTube, which is where we get the vast majority of our viewers. We air Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. And, you know, we have a great time. And the most important thing on our show, Bakari, is education and entertainment. That's it. We, we, we bring those two things together. We have fun. We have sports headlines, entertainment headlines, top news headlines. And then we have in-depth conversations. Last week's show was about a uh, cannabis industry and how black folks oh. need to be. Yes. We got to get in this green game because people. I'm a, are making- I am a shout out to uh, t- shout out to citizens grown. Me and Raekwon are in a cannabis industry together. We're trying to grow hopefully uh-huh. one day before Ellen gets mad at me for dumping a hundred thousand dollars in a weed business that don't do nothing. But we hope it pops. We try it probably will. I mean, it's projected to make a hundred billion in the next seven years, Bakari. And I just want our people, because we've been incarcerated, we've been locked down and locked up behind it. I want us to win. I want us to get some money here. To me, this is a form of our reparations. I agree so with that wholeheartedly. Get on that. So that's the kind of stuff we talked about in Revolt Black News. Check it out. We're gonna keep asking you to come on every week, Bakari Seller. I'm there. I'm there. One day, as soon as I one day can. you're gonna say yes. Assume. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you for Thank what you, you. Do. I love you. Ebony K. I don't, people don't know the K, but Ebony Keanu Williams, shout out. <laughs> I love you. Thank you for coming on. Love. Bye. Bye, baby. Bye, baby sellers. Say bye-bye. Say bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh! <laughs> bye, baby. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. <laughs>